This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The Minutiaman Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. If you missed Losano or Los Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. Ed Silla, the president, is here. The guy that's in charge of the whole network. So we have to be good, right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so far. So what's going on with the network? Anything exciting? We have a a thousand shows. I mean, there's a lot of them. We have a lot of shows. Yeah. Name the worst show on the network. Go ahead. Say it to his face. Just say it. Say it to his face. Yeah. yeah. No, no I, 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 would, I dare anyone to find a bad show. There, all... there is not a show on this network that yeah. I'm not proud of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Aww. Yeah. Uh, Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Radio Misfits. Get more. Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lausano or whatever it's called. The following is a Tony Lozano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick Kempfer and Dave Stern. The following is a Tony Lozano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Uh, is, our guest today has been a part of some of Chicago's greatest bands. He was in the Slugs in the 80s, Poi Dog Pondering in the 90s, and I think currently still playing with them, right? Is that true? Well, in as much as uh, you Whenever they, they do. Together. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Also in bands like the Sunshine Boys and the 45 with Len Casper. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a rule now that you have to be in every band in Chicago. Is that true? <laughs> Don't forget about Expo 76, my cover band. There you go. Another one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Th- that is the rule, isn't it? You must be in, you must have a, a Mr. Julen in your band. So you're kind of a floozy. <laughs> you're, you're um, a musical I like flu- to think. I like to think of myself as my generation's Michael McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. taking it to the streets. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Every, yeah. So, uh, mandatory. Talk to us about the Slugs. I remember seeing you guys. Oh, like, boy. I, can't I, I just love that. I love the sound of that band. It was like this uh, power pop kind of music, yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, at that in fact, I think that kind of music was my favorite kind of music of all, of all time. Wow. Well, um, it's uh i think we i think we probably had what you would you could describe as maybe a maybe a midwestern sound you know like there was a kind of a a beefy sort of pop sound that i guess we we had uh, once we sort of figured our sound out and got away from our kind of early who influences and stuff and we we found ourselves probably playing music that was maybe a little little more like the stuff that was going on at the time, the replacements or REM, right? Um, exactly. You know, that's that's sort of where we were coming from, and we certainly weren't the only band doing that kind of sound. It was, you know, there was bands from Champagne and uh, Titanic, Love Affair, or whatever that had that kind of kind of sound. That that I think it was people who are were of the right uh, of of a generation where you could you could draw influences on on both 
classic rock, you know, stadium rock, and maybe some of the newer sort of punk rock or new wave and stuff like that. So I think we, our age group probably put us right in that kind of, that elbow joint of, of a transitional period in music when, when, when you could, you know, Pearl Jam, I'd look at it as an example of a band that has stadium rock influences, but also probably were motivated by DIY of punk to go out there and do it. You know what I mean? And just kind of play, play the bars and play the clubs and, 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 and really bring a kind of a, a fierce performance out, you know? So that's, I guess that's a, our sound was pretty poppy. It's pretty melodic. And um, um, we, we our, our early days were sort of real, really bashing this out, you know, really bashing heavy sounds and stuff like that, sounding like the Who or the Jam, uh, without the subtleties of those bands. You know, we we just we were, we were we made a big sound, and then we turned we were a trio, and then we became a, a four piece after a while, and the songs got had a little more kind of depth to them and more parts and and and, and melodic melodic hard power pop i guess or just yeah pop? i think i'd call it power pop that's that's kind of yeah. how i looked at it i mean you you can hear the who influences you mm-hmm. mentioned the who right. uh you yeah. also mentioned pearl jam and and eddie vetter's favorite Huge. band of all time is the who dave uh-huh. and i go dave and i have seen the who twelve thousand times <laughs> a little a, yeah. a few too many times <laughs> we've seen their doing? last five farewell tours <laughs> yeah right but, yeah i know i um I uh, I was really impressed by their last album, though. I thought it that was great. I, I didn't yeah. I didn't like that Endless Wire album. No, I didn't either at all. But this this sounds like a band. It sounds like a band that still has um, some fire in their belly. Honestly, I, I like it. Yeah, we uh, had on Lauren Gold, uh, who's the keyboardist for the Who. I don't know. Was it? Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. Three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, uh, and he was great. He and, was. It just, I mean, he's a huge fan too, you know, and he, and he's younger. He's like, you know, 57, Yeah, uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but it is, it's, it's, I think from what he mentions is that they do, they have, that this album definitely has reinvigorated them. So who yeah. are your, who are your bands growing up? Who were the, who were the bands that you were drawn to? Um, you know, I've, I, just about everything really begins with the Beatles. That was a the yeah. big band for me. And that was a big band um, for my brother and I, as we were kind of discovering albums and also learning to play. He played bass and I played guitar. So we, we kind of, you know, learned the Beatles songs together um, while, you know, discovering more about songs and songwriting and bands and stuff like that. So, so much, so much, um, is represented by them, by the Beatles in my life, um, for so many reasons. And, and, um, they, they really are the kind of the band that, it, that everything goes back to. But, but along the way, um, I was, uh, I think the first album I, I really bought was, um, the first thing I really got into was Elton John, you know, like as a, as a kind of a fourth or fifth grader when I, when I started purchasing albums and getting them for my birthday and waiting for them, it was like, you know, goodbye yellow brick road was a, was a big deal for me. And I think I might've, might've gotten it for my birthday or, or purchased it, you know, uh, you know, so it was a monumental experience of a, of a four sided album that, unfolded with all these cartoons and lyrics and it was just a thing to pour over and that was a great great experience so i I loved elton john um and then i would say probably in the mid 70s i started getting into the electric light orchestra Mm -hmm. 
and just um, really have always loved them. And I had, I had a brief period when I was too cool for their music and their music was too synthesized for me. Uh, but then I went back and really kind of discovered some albums that I'd blown off by them. But they're, they're a big, big, big group for me. And I just, I, I feel like I learned so much from them um, stole more chord changes from them than I have. And also uh, Elvis Costello was huge for me. Bruce Springsteen, uh, people I still really like and, and, and try to follow. And listen. Uh, Costello, I think I've, I've, I've not been as diligent with following him down everything he's done, but I've, I've pretty much been along for the ride with Springsteen since I got into him in about... 78 or something like that um you're basically describing my ipod <laughs> with, the, uh, yeah, okay, with all of good. your choices <laughs> yeah yeah so, so let's talk about poi dog pondering because uh, that was uh that was a big time mm. band uh that uh that really made it and there were several different incarnations of the band you know we started in hawaii and then there was the austin group and and then the chicago group and each one right. had a whole different lineup basically yeah yeah, so, I mean, um, there are very few great bands. Business model, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, there are it's, very it's, few bands that have that many different uh, lifetimes. Really, it's true. That's it's 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 more of a kind of a slowly evolving thing than it is like a full rearrangement of the lineup. You know, it's it's been it's a, been a thing that that has been I think morphing and evolving uh, more than just flat out changing. But yeah, they came. There was a group of them that came from from Hawaii to kind of just busk across the United States, and yeah. they had a kind of a stronghold in San Francisco and toured the country. And um, in, in at a time when I guess you could do that sort of thing, and um, wound up in Texas, and and then that that group experienced some some real success with Sony Records putting out a couple three of their albums, I think, and. Um, but it was um, Frank Oral, the mainstay, um, moved to Chicago because there was a there was a woman that he was involved with, and yeah. and and um, always a woman, yeah. right? Always, always, dames. always comes back yeah. to that skirt. So the love it was just was her name love. Yoko? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Uh, Br- Bridget Murphy, who is a, oh, okay. a local uh, sure. a local artist. Um, but anyway, I think that there had been some some tensions within the. Um, Austin lineup and there'd been some frustration in terms of the record company not really getting the uh, the ROI that they yeah. that uh, that they wanted you know and and um, so Frank came up and then Max Crawford followed him and I I, I had uh, struck up a relationship with him because he was um, he would hang out at Lounge Axe which is where I was working the door you know oh, I, I love that I, place I, yeah, so this must be, I don't know what, what year this even is. I don't, you know, 89, 90, something like that, 91, I don't know. Anyway, so I got to know him and then started jamming with 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 Max Crawford and Frank as they sort of put something together just very loosely just to keep playing music and make money and stuff. And I just um, became involved with, with them on these monthly, very loose kind of musical uh, excursions at Lounge Axe. We do a show once a month, and that was also. Uh, and I kept getting invited back, you know, to play guitar. And sometimes it'd be like you'd show up and be like, "Yeah, the drummer that we had last last time, 
you know, he, he didn't really work out. He, you know, <laughs> you know spinal you know, tap. Yeah, right. He combusted. A bit, yeah, or a, you know, like or the, the bassist um, drank too much or yeah. whatever it was. But so, um, but then we just forged a, a, a really strong friendship, and then, um, and then Frank decided that he wanted to reform, recast Boy Dog Pondering in, in a Chicago lineup, and uh, Susan Vells eventually also moved up here from Austin, a violin player, Susan, and. Um, you know, it just, it turned into, and then that, that, that lineup of that band lasted until, I don't know, 2000 or something so that we had, we had almost 10 years of doing that. And then they changed, they changed direction, became a little bit more of a, um, maybe house music or that, that kind of sonic feel to it, you know, more, more groove oriented and, um, longer kind of dance uh, songs, you know, but not like get up and party dance, but just kind of like, um, um, a very kind of, um, I don't uh, hard to describe, but, uh, but just, just to say it's dance music, it's more, it's very exotic and very, very luscious and sonically beautiful, uh, dance music and things. But, um, so, but, and then the group has evolved from that into its current incarnation, which is essentially, kind of represents all the incarnations of the band that have ever been. You know, you have people from that, from that dance music era. You've got people from my era. You've got people from Texas. You've got people from Hawaii. It's all come together. And you kind of, when we do a show, sometimes you don't know if it's going to be the full lineup or who's going to be playing, (laughs) but people come and sort of pop in back uh, in and out like Paul Mertens, who's, played sax with the band since my time of play, you know, since 91, 92, nine, and he'll go off and play with Brian Wilson. And he's been his musical director mm-hmm. or his string arranger for, for, you know, the better part of, of, of 15 years or something like that. So, I mean, it's this kind of, um, I think, I think if you, I think there's a time when, when Walter Becker and, and Fagan said something to the effect of, uh, the effect of if you think of Steely Dan not so much as a band but as a concept mm. um, I, I don't know if that applies to Poi Dog but it, what it what it what it is about that band is that it, it 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 always is evolving you know whether it's whether it's the sound is evolving from a straight ahead like busking folk you know raggedy yeah. kind of sound to like super slick to orchestral to hard rock to you know kraut rock to drone rock to it's just it's a band that does not um it's a band that follows its own muse you know what i mean it's it's like not bound to any conviction if we like something and we all feel it we'll do it and and the the the, the members represent such a wide range of people with such a diverse set of influences um that the band can basically be anything it wants to be without without being a, just a set of uh, dilettantes or, or or fakers it's really th- th- this is um this is a, a group of well-versed intelligent players fantastic players who who love working together you know and that's my very short answer <laughs> okay well i mean it, it's still rock and roll though so uh yeah. in my mind it's rock and roll and you know mm-hmm. with rock and roll and being in a rock and roll band comes rock and roll stories 
There yeah. must be some from that time that you could share with it's us. It's a podcast. You can swear. You can do drugs. Whatever <laughs> he knows, you want. He knows podcasts. <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, you know, I've. Um, uh, that's a, that is like that is a question that always throws me off. I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, there are there are, there are you know like yeah sure the, there's been times when the band. Uh, outnumbered the audience, you know. Right, right. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any great stories of 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 rock and roll excess or rock and roll. Just make tragedy. it up. Just yeah. make it up. Just make it up. You're gonna well, have to come I mean, up with some know. stories. I'll, I'll, we'll write a few for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys are the clever ones. You're the writers. You know, I mean, I'm just, uh, I'm just a guitar player. But I mean, we we had some really incredible highs. Like, um, we have, um a sound man that we had worked with and still might get lucky to work with every now and then, but a guy called Ian Kuhn who um, would do sound for us, but he was also, and still is, I believe the monitor engineer on stage monitor mixer for Dave Matthews. Mm -hmm. And we got invited to, to play a tour with, with the Dave Matthews band, you know, like about a week or so in, in between, well, I don't know, uh, Red Rocks, Colorado, wow, and, nice. and like Philadelphia or something like that. So we've, you know, we've, we've, uh, you know, I've experienced kind of that's kind of a, like as just about as big as you can get. You know, right. um, that was really cool. And we've had moments of we fucking played with the. Um, there's a swear word. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the um, we played at you know we 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 played at Orchestra Hall. Like wow. you know we played with the Symphonetta and you know reworked rock songs from Carmen or, you know, turned songs from Carmen into rock wow, songs and cool. stuff like that and played, played at, um, uh, Ravinia somewhat famously. Um, uh, and that would, I, I'll have to guess what year it might've been, but it might've been 95 or something. The biggest crowd they've ever had. Wow. They had to, they had to send people to the, to the tollway, to whatever it is, the Edens up there to turn people back. Wow. They, they, um, yeah, they, that would, that would, that would be on my business. <laughs> if, if that was me, that would be on my business card. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. The, um, the, the, I, I guess that the, the thing about Ravinia and how they'd always played it off was like, you know, people buy these $10 lawn seats. Uh, they just buy them out of habit. And then a lot of them just don't show up. Right. Where in our case, <clears throat> excuse me um in our case everyone showed up everyone showed up and the trains were blocked up you know from people getting up there the, like i say it was the most crowded they ever had um it was amazing it was incredible it was an incredible thing to be a part of the there was some then unfortunate discrepancy the next day in that there was some kind of uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe the statute of limitations has run out, but I, I, I don't, <laughs> you're not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> not a hundred percent sure about, about the details. But there's this question of like, well, gee, you know, that place was really, really packed. It was like, and I'm not sure if, if what was written on the check here yeah, goes they, along with that. Right. And so I think, I think hmm. there was some, some friendly back and forth, let's say between the band and the, and the folks up there. So, um, and we have since played there a couple more times. So I think it got worked out, but, um, so, I mean, th there was, there was an incredible thing because, you know, as we talked about the slugs or the slugs, the slugs were, it, it seemed to be the only band in, in the great 
record the great record label signing fury of of 91 or 93 whatever it was it feels like we were the only band that didn't get an offer we didn't get anything you know we held the door for everybody else and we were we were running on some internal um um we had we would have internal struggles you know as i say my brother and i we were in that band together and that that sometimes took whatever strife there might have been to a very different level when yeah. you have brothers involved yeah, talk you know? to so, ray davies and dave davies yeah. for the exactly the oasis guys yeah whatever. right yeah exactly right well that i think i think they're probably more crazy stories from the slugs era just in terms of the tension getting to be so bad that that we'd we'd fight it out on stage you know <laughs> i so, saw aerosmith do that once <laughs> yeah really was it who was it who was involved uh steven tyler uh was so loaded that he yeah. fell off the stage and they had yeah. to prop him back up and and joe perry was so pissed that uh that tyler was uh you know screwing Fuck up the whole concert yeah. he he just started punching him <laughs> Oh wow! It was in Springfield, Illinois, like yeah. 1984. It was, you know, and then they stopped the show after like two songs. I'm like, this is great! Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's some that's some that's heavy duty. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, being in a band is weird enough, and it can be tension, <clears throat> um, even if you are making it. Apparently, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but we um, we never had drug problems. We drank quite a bit, but um, we we were playing. The slugs were playing. It might have been one of our kind of Christmas pageants that we would do. We were playing at lounge acts and during the course of the show, someone had gone downstairs and like robbed the place, robbed all the money <laughs> that, that was being made that night. And it was in the middle of the show or it's sort of coming toward the end of the show. It was the Ravinia people. <laughs> right. The, Allegedly. <laughs> but then, so what happened was like, um, the, uh, the club owner, Julia, came up to the side of the stage and said you guys gotta get off you know they wanted to shut the show down because of what happened you know understandably so but we were so we were hammered and i was taking my time getting off stage and my brother um looked up and was very very mad with with me and you know get off you have to get off and what i did in my kind of breezy drunken self-assured idiotic assholeish way kind of was like oh my brother you know is so jealous that he can't get up here and then rapture a crowd like i am right now <laughs> you know like i'm so funny and so clever and he was really like saying you know this is this this is for much you know like right, the reasons are, yeah. the re yeah it's a bigger reason it's not just me and you being my annoying little brother yeah. it's like you know get the fuck off stage and and essentially um I, I made some probably some stupid flippant comment into the mic and he came up and like took me and swung me around and like pushed me into the stack of amplifiers <laughs> you know and then stormed off stage and then uh, you know i like famously went back up to the mic and and the crowd is like stunned silence and i'm like mr funny i'm like why are you all staring at me you know <laughs> so you know it just was like that kind of stuff that there, there would there would be you know the slugs had had you know me and greg we would we would fight in parking lots and stuff and um you know it just was it was it was rough going sometimes but we were we were we we're very close in age we're like 11 months apart you know and um it's just uh, i don't know just you know brother frustrations are a very different type of thing and we yeah we both I, I, knew I have each three other. sons i i see it oh uh, wow 
It's uh, it can be ugly. <laughs> can no, be ugly. nobody, nobody can push the buttons. You know, no exactly. one knows just the pinpoint accuracy of where they're located and what it's going to take to accelerate it. And so, yeah, you know, um, we we had to kind of um, we tried another band, which was which was really uh, uh, was getting there. It was a good band, but that that also, you know, I I. I <laughs> I did not do some things, you know, I was, I was a little, I was, I was, um, I was kind of, um, um, unfortunately if I, if I had an idea in my head, I would, I would charge through with this idea, um, without maybe stopping to think what the other guys thought or what, what, you know, what works best for us and what, what am I without realizing imposing on somebody else. And so that's, that's been kind of a, um, a trouble spot for me. And that's been kind of um, a lesson to, that I'm still trying to learn, you know, so yeah. if I can get deep and philosophical here, but yeah. So, which is why um, you're now in every band in Chicago. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're working through it. <laughs> I'm trying to work through it, presenting myself with all types of situations and trying to grow. Well, speaking but, but, of, speaking of growing in all types of situations, you and Rick have something in common. You're both part of the Stephen Gary, uh, or I'm sorry, Steve Dahl, what is it? The, the universe. The, the universe. The universe. Right? The mothership, yeah, yeah. right? And Rick. Exactly. You know, Rick was with Stephen Gary um, in the late '80s and the early '90s, right around the time you were getting your ass kicked by your brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, some partnerships are just you know they're they can they can have their own dynamics. So. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you're and you're now part of part of Steve's podcast at doll.com. Uh, did you grow, did you grow up? I mean, you're about our age. How old are you, How old are you? I am uh, 57. Okay, oh, yeah. so you're exactly, exactly our age. <laughs> so oh, okay. you know, we grew up listening to Steve. I did you grow up listening to Steve as well, or grow up as uh, far as high school? Absolutely, from yeah. from like day one, I believe. Yeah. You know, um, so and as you know, what that was like, what radio, what we would listen to before that, or whatever kind of parental controls were established on the home radios and stuff. And, you know, um, for somebody to bring that kind of FM radio sensibility, mm -hmm. that rock and roll sensibility, um, and, and you, and you're being influenced by other kind of things at the time. And, and all of a sudden here's this guy that comes out and really, um, just the right guy at the right time to the right people, just, uh, uh um, mind-blowing and, and i was a i was a huge fan straight away and listened all the time and actually had you know when i'd be working some sort of grunt job after after i got a high school and just kind of worked for for you know a couple of years just worked around park ridge where i grew up um driving a delivery truck or whatever it was a joy to be um sent off on some far excursion in this, you know, box truck, just so I could listen. So you can to listen, right? yeah, 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 just uh, phenomenal. And I felt really that, you know, in kind of, um, in kind of a way that my mind had been primed by people that I really liked, like um, Robert Klein and Albert Brooks, mm -hmm. um, Steve Martin and Bill Murray. These kind of. Um, uh, Weisenheimers from the back of the classroom sort of mentality yeah. that I that I probably you know was was part of in my own way um, really spoke to me and just really you know when when Steve would 
say something just as you're thinking it, you know, that's, that's what I found about him. And, um, and that was unusual because there wasn't somebody like that really on the radio before him. No, not, not that spoke to our generation. No, because what, what, once, once the, the beautiful thing, I mean, like I loved, you know, WLS and WCFL and I loved, I loved AM radio and all the different types of songs and stuff. I love John Landecker so much yeah. um, that, and, and I love Bob Surratt and, and having to meet those guys. And, you know, as a result of being on the radio with Steve was a, a huge thrill for me, just a huge thrill. And, and to, 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 um, to have John Landecker on the show and recount some bits that he did that I remembered that yeah. he had really forgotten about. And, and it blew his mind. I think, you know, it kind it of did, like, because really, he didn't remember them. Probably. <laughs> he, 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 but like his son, his segment, uh, Americana Panorama, oh, sure. I loved it. And I just love the wordplay element of it. And, um, so when, when that kind of, when you started getting into your high school and, and you're making you're in this sort of maybe more of an FM state of mind and you're getting into new bands and stuff and you know maybe leaving those bubble gummy kind of si- sounds behind a little bit um and then along comes Steve it yeah. was just like it was a, it was really a nuclear bomb boom the right time for that kind of stuff um and so um for me to and I would say that he was really kind of a you know, I find, like I said, those other people I mentioned, Steve Martin and Bill Murray and things like, I I, I found him as a, like an influence, you know, just in terms of uh, comedy type of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and. Um, well, and he, so, he influenced a whole generation of broadcasters. I mean, I, yeah. you know, the, and so did Landecker. Landecker had a, you know, uh, every time that I'm with John, somebody will come up to him and it'll be. You know, a disc jockey who started right. in Alabama and who right. listened to him at night, you know, in the 50,000 water. And, yeah. and Stephen Geary had that same, you know, impact. You know, Howard Stern oh, yeah. based his whole act on on Steve's show. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob, Bob Odenkirk to this day, you know, not only... Um, says he he and monty python the same that said dino stamatopoulos will say the same thing it was steve and and monty python uh but bob admits like to essentially when he's down at siu doing his his own blatant ripoff of steve's show <laughs> yeah well, we're you know? doing it right so, now <laughs> well there you go there you go With, uh, except you can say fuck and stuff like yeah that. right all right we have to take a break but minutia men will be right back coming to the radio misfits podcast network that's us. I'm Kimmy. I'm Sam. And I am Tommy right here. We're going to talk about Florida men. We're going to talk about paranormal stories. We're going to talk about uh, city stuff. Sex talk. Sex talk. And sex talk. And yeah, sex talk will come up. But only if it's brought up. We got to keep that on the DL. So come meet your new friends with and friends on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, radiomisfits.com, and Opie Production. This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. I was at the temple on Monday. I was walking into the temple and I held the door open for a pretty attractive older woman. I'd say she was like in her early 70s maybe. And she goes, well, thank you. Are you here for 
for the seniors event. Oh, ouch. Oh, let the record show she was kind of hot in a 70 year old kind of way. So I'm like, are you listening to what you're saying right now? (laughs) Minutia Men with Rick and Dave, the Tony Lasano podcast and Opi production on the Radio Misfits podcast network. What would that be? A GMIF? Uh, Oh, my grandma. Oh, my Um, God. Stop. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back. I'll give you the question that I get all the time because, um, you know, Steve shares so much of his life with the listeners. And and he was really the first one to do that. And people always ask me if Steve on the air is different from Steve off the air. I know I have an answer to that. What is what is your answer to that question? Uh, He barely talks off the air. That's true. He's, 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 um, he's, I, I think he's, he's more withdrawn when I think, when I think the mic comes on, then he gets into that frame of mind that he needs to get into. But in terms of being different off the air, you know, we, we have, we have conversations before we start the show, but although maybe, maybe that, because that involves a microphone and headphones, maybe there's some mental thing that he gets into. But, um, no, I think, I think with my experience, he he's just as funny and sharp and nice and everything or you know he's 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 he he can have uh i think he's just a little bit more withdrawn i think that the introverted side of him once once the show is out of his system then i think he goes into the mode of back into observation mode yeah it's almost like he's saving it uh you know, whatever is going on in his mind, he's saving it for the show. Like exactly. when, when I was a producer, I'd go in during every commercial break and there was total silence between Steve yeah. and Gary. They were not like yimmer yammering, you know, what's going on? You know, what do you want to do next? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Total silence. Cause they didn't want to waste a moment of it. Right. Yeah. We, we even have that thing as we're starting and we're getting ready and getting our mic levels set if we just start, if you know, if we were like two or three riffs going, we're like, save it, save it, shut yeah, up, let's yeah. go, you know, don't yeah. talk about it. So that's the thing. He, I think that he, um, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to give it, he wants to be in the moment as the show is happening. And, and so, you know, um, it's, you know, we're not going to read a story ahead of time off the air and then come back and read it on the air and pretend to be surprised about right. by it. You know, it's like never the same. His, yeah. No, his, his whole thing, I believe, you know, or, but to me it's, it's, it's that exploration of, you know, finding out about what's going on, the topic, how do I feel? What is, what caused it? You know, like if finding it out. And I think that's been the, the, the compelling thing about listening to him on the, on the radio and stuff. And certainly when it was with Gary and they had that, they had that time, it's, it's tough for me to gauge about the experience at WLS that we just had, because it was so like, all right, we've got seven minutes yeah. go, you know, right. there was no time to explore anything at any, you know, in any great detail that, yeah. that could like one of those great elongated unboxings of some concept <laughs> or, or, you know, thing that Stephen Gary could we do. Used to have a, we used to have a rule when uh, Albert Brooks would call in. Uh, yeah. that was will drop anything and he just goes until he stops yes because exactly. because if you said can you hang on a sec we'll be right back he'd say no 
uh-huh. and he would never hold on. He he's like, no, I'm doing this now. And there were times when he would throw us off by like three hours, <laughs> a commercial break. You know, we're, we we've yeah. gone like 45 minutes. We haven't done a single commercial, and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. But yeah. it was gold. People still remember those calls. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, uh, and that was and that was one of those things. If I'd be out on one of those delivery drives, if there, you know, if Albert Brooks is on, I'm staying in that truck. Yeah, even exactly. you know, right. I'm not dropping off the you know the 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 wedding tent or, until Albert or the liver up. or the kidney for the transplant. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, they're gonna Fuck have to you. tough it out. They're gonna have to tough it out. So, but that that's true. That that was as gold as as it. A situation to hear those guys talking with Albert, and we just played some Albert on the on the show today, because uh, we just Steve and I referenced uh, one of the, that Albert uh, phone calls uh, bit and oh, and, yeah. on a, and a text chain, and we just started, so we played a bit of that, and it was just uh, it was great. So well, he, it's good he, that it's good that radio hasn't changed at all, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, right. It's uh, reassuring to know that some things have weathered the the wrath of the bean counters and all that so so you know speaking uh, of speaking of radio you're you know i don't think a lot of people realize that you kind of grew up in a radio family your your uncle wayne was yeah. was a morning man at wfyr uh back in the day and he did some pretty groundbreaking stuff i mean he was doing character voices and i think he later yeah. went on to work with a uh, dick orkin chicken yeah um yeah Tell us a little bit about your uncle and what he was like and, you know, some of the things that, uh, that he did. Well, he, he, um, he had a, an overnight show on WDAI that, um, you know, every once in a while there'll be a, a, a reverent note directed to me from a, from a, from a fan. And, you know, it was, um, it was on really late at night. And so sometimes it would be, it would be very tough for me to, to, to listen to it and stuff. But I, I would remember really wild stuff that he would do. Like there's, um, there's this grand funk railroad song that fades out, you know, I'm getting closer to my home. It just goes out, you know, like on this, I'm getting closer to my home. He had edited it. So like that fade out when they're just saying, I'm getting closer to my home is like 10 minutes long, you know, it just kept going and going and going. And, and he was, um, he would, he would, get drop-ins like um uh you know robert klein would come out and hang out and do the show with him after he finished up playing you know mr kelly's or something like that steve martin would come and hang out and and um and because the club was in the same building right right, in the lobby Yeah, yeah yeah um he was um he was uh um well, my dad, my dad, who's uh, seven years older than Wayne was, he, my dad was a TV director at WGN for many, for decades. You know, he started in the mailroom and then became a, a and you're Mr. Director. Media. Well, it's, it was, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, that's how I grew up. You know, it was when I was a kid, I did commercials for wholesome bread because my dad was the director and stuff. <laughs> and I'd go down and, and, um, you know, get waved into the Bozo show during a commercial break. Didn't, you know, VIP man behind, didn't have to wait the seven years for tickets and stuff like that. But so I, you know, it's still an amazing thing. If I get to go back to, to play with the band on WGN, you know, just to just those hallways, I just grew up, I grew up there and it was just an amazing thing. Um, but my dad was on the TV side and my brother is a TV guy. He, um, 
he used to work for the Big Ten Network. He's won a couple of Emmys for, you know, his editing. He's just fucking brilliant. Just great, great, great. So talented. Really stuck at my, he was really at my dad's knee during the TV side. And I, a little bit sort of graduated towards Wayne on the radio side. And Wayne was, um, turned me on to some great comedy albums. He, you know, he, um, he inspired me um, with his work as a as a, a commercial a voice actor and also as a writer with his wife and partner Penny Lane, yeah. um, and was always gracious to me with with any sort of comedy things that I would try out on him or and um, he um, like I said was a was a really encouraging and was a big jazz music fan. I think he was in he said he was in the army with with Eddie Harris, the sax player. Wow. And and so he was he was like really hip to um to kind of more bebop jazz and, and more modern more modern sounds and stuff like that. So and then plus the thing is like he lived in 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 his backyard sort of backed up to a park uh up on the very far, far north side of the city. Um and just to see the fact that he got to sit at home all day uh and goof off yeah. And shoot baskets and stuff. I was like, "Oh my god, I want to do that." that. That's a good job. That's what I want to do. That's the job to have, you know. So he was, um, he was uh, um, just, uh, and he would come out to to see Expo '76, and um, you know, he he it was always such a great pleasure to hang out and, and and see him. He just was so. And when he died, there was this big memorial service for him, and people just had nothing but positive things to say about what a funny and kind and great guy he was and and he was uh he was an inspiration to me in 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 the world of of funny radio stuff and and um uh clever writing and and things like that and both my dad and 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 wayne were turned me on to what's probably my favorite thing of anything that's ever been created and that's bob and ray yes um, that's just that's really for me is is the thing that i always hear in my head whenever whenever i'm trying to write something that i think i want to make some sort of radio or podcast bits or whatever that's the for me that's like the north star of of any of my creative aspirations and so i got my, my dad would give me the bob and ray books and you know that was an early thing for me that i got from my dad was was Bob and Ray and also Les Paul. He turned me on to Les Paul, which wow. is just a huge, huge thing for me. So yeah, I got, I got, you know, these um, two influences uh, uh, really, really formed what I would become. You know, it came from from my father and, and and also my brother in a very large way by teaching me how to read like before I was in kindergarten. Now, I don't know who the hell taught him, but he taught <laughs> me. So I don't know. You know, it's my. I guess my. The influence on my family uh, has been so strong, and it's it, as you pointed out or mentioned earlier, is kind of kind of the family industry because you know that's what my brother is still into. He's still doing you know TV editing and stuff, and I'm I'm doing the podcast, and um, yeah, I'm I I often joke that i have got no real world skills so this is what i'm doing right. neither so. neither do we <laughs> so we, okay. we can we can sympathize and you know yeah. i feel like uh we we were just scratching the surface here but we, we'd love to have you back on the show 
when sure. when we go so we start doing the show live from the museum of broadcasting have you bring your guitar and and uh, and spend an afternoon with us if if we're ever allowed to do that again <laughs> if we ever can leave our homes again yeah yes but thank you very much for being on oh, the thanks. show this has been great thank you we really thanks enjoyed so much. it thanks for it because you know it's good to meet you at uh I've, I've known who you are for so many years and then to uh to meet you at that 45 show in arlington heights and hang out with you afterwards that was great that's yeah really that, fun. that was fun i enjoyed it too yeah thanks thanks doug thanks rick be thanks, safe doug. be safe you too well, that's it for this week's edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opie is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Distributed by Ed Silla, Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead, it's just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we will be back again next week with another edition of the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I'm Steve Baskerville. I'm Howard Sudbury. I'm going to show you my doodle. Can you see my doodle from where no. you are? You know who else would? Walter Jacobson would doodle. And his doodle one day was close to my doodle. <laughs> uh, so you've seen his doodle. Sure. Uh, He's seen your doodle. He's seen my doodle more than one day. <laughs> Back to you with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. Back to you, an Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. So, Lou, what's the deal with horsepower? I mean, we don't use horses anymore. Well, we like horses, and that's how it started, so these are our new ponies. At least we're living in the golden age of horsepower and doing our best to enjoy it like we do on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. I'm Lou Costable. Join us for the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You really think you can feed like 700 horses, Mark?